This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Southern Sports Today proudly presents the Chuck Oliver Show. It's an inside look at everything college football. Now live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time to talk college football with the reigning king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. hours of college football here for you every single day whether or not chuck can personally be here every single day he's here most of the time but you know once in a while things happen so today is one of those days no chuck but we've got the college football for you and of course we're all looking ahead to five days from now that of course when we're going to get a new national champion in college football and i will tell you that there's a really good chance i don't know you personally more than likely but there's a really good chance you were not rooting for either of the teams that are going to be playing on Monday for this thing. Whether you're an Alabama fan who, of course, was rooting for your team or a Texas fan likewise, or whether or not you're one of those folks, and they do certainly exist, that just enjoy the idea that the SEC wins all the time and that maybe your school isn't the one that won this particular time, but that you know if you can ever fight your way to the top of the heap in this conference, it probably also means in the end you'll be at the top of the heap nationally. Whatever the story, there's a really good chance, based on where this show airs, you probably were not yelling go blue the other day. And that's before we get into the whole business about the cheating and everything with that, which makes even people who are neutral a little less inclined to want to root for Michigan in particular this year. But what if I told you it's actually a good thing? Would you believe me? Because I think long-term it is. I think for this sport, what is going on this week is actually really good. And the reason I say that is because it's changing the perception of what can be done to win a championship. We all understand right now this sport is evolving. We're about to go to a 12-team playoff. We'll have to see when we get to a 12-team playoff what that looks like exactly. Will there be teams that maybe didn't get it all together, that would have had no chance at all in a previous year, you know, maybe you figured out who your quarterback was five, six weeks into the season, or your quarterback just got a lot better, or maybe something happened. You know, maybe you had a guy get injured and he missed some key moments, but he's back. And at the end of the year, you're playing your best ball. But before, there's no way you would have gotten into the four. Yeah, if you had two losses, remember, it literally never happened. No team with two losses ever made it into the 14 playoff. It didn't matter if it was a two-loss conference champion. It didn't matter if the two losses were explainable in some way oh you know they missed their quarterback for a game nope didn't matter if you had two losses that was the one and only thing that the committee was always consistent about no matter who was on it between 2014 and this year if you had two losses forget it you're not going to the playoff does anybody think that there was never a year where a two-loss team might have been capable of winning some games in the playoff probably not didn't matter. You were never going to get the chance. Now, two losses probably will get you the chance. And who knows? Depending on what kind of year it is, 
Maybe some years even three losses might get you the chance, but you might be good enough to do something with the chance. We see it all the time in the NFL. No, college football is not the NFL. We don't want it to be, but we see it all the time in the NFL. We're seeing it this year in the NFL. Right now, you've got a team in the Buffalo Bills that people are pointing to and saying, I don't know, man. If they make the playoffs, they're going to be really dangerous. They might make the playoffs but be pretty low on the list of seeds depending on the outcome of games this week. This isn't a pro show, so I might get too deep into the weeds on it. But the point is, there's a lot of people even knowing that's not going to be the number one seed who are saying, man, look out. They could be real dangerous. They figured some things out about five weeks ago. They could be real dangerous. We've never had that in college. We're going to, and we'll see what that adds up to. But the thing that we have had the last few years is we have had this mindset that basically only about at most a dozen teams had any chance of winning the championship, and the real number was probably even smaller than that. And there were different ways we got there, whether it was the blue chip ratio, for example. I know Chuck's talked about it on this show. I feel like I've probably talked about it at some point on this show. The blue chip ratio is a hypothesis of Bud Elliott of CBSSports.com that says if you do not have a certain number of four-star and five-star players on your team percentage-wise, you cannot win the championship. Not you probably won't win the championship. You can't win the championship. Last year, TCU obviously was a perceived threat to that notion. And what happened? TCU got destroyed. And all the people who believed that only recruiting, stars and only stars matter, nothing else matters, not talent development, not team chemistry, not just one staff maybe being a little sharper when it comes to X's, and O's, and the other. Nope, none of it matters. Cruton, that's it. Signing day. Nothing else in the end matters. Who has the best pieces? That's who's going to win every single time. So if you are, for example, Missouri this year, and you had the kind of year that next year will get you in the playoff, don't even bother to dream if you do get there, okay? Because you're going to get smashed because only the biggest and brightest and shiniest recruiting classes can win. Don't even bother aspiring. It can't be done. That is what we have been told over the last few years. And year after year, it had worked out. Well, guess what? This year, the blue chip ratio might lose. Washington is not a blue-chip ratio team. More importantly, Washington beat a team that is a blue-chip ratio team in Texas. They beat them. Last year, the argument was, well, yeah, TCU, they did get there, but they beat a team in, yes, Michigan, who was barely a blue-chip ratio team. So they didn't get a team that was one of the very best teams in talent and when they got one of those, they got destroyed. So that just proves, forget it. You're never going to, you might win a game. You'll never win the whole thing. Folks at 24-7 Sports have what they call the talent composite. And this is actually pretty important now because, as we all know, with so much movement in the sport, trying to rate signing classes now is almost a waste of time. All right, congratulations, you land a talented kid. Will he be there in even six months? There's kids that transferred before they even played a game this year, for Pete's sake. So the days of getting super worked up about recruiting class ratings and saying, hey, Texas A&M signed a number one recruiting class, that means big things are coming. Well, no, as it turned out, not only were they not coming, but like half that class is elsewhere by now. So more than ever, really, instead of focusing on the recruiting rankings, it's the talent composite that you should be featuring. 
because that is designed to size up everything, not just your your high school signees, it's transfers, it's all of it. Based on how these players were rated, regardless of who they originally signed with, this is how talented your team is supposed to be. Washington is 26th. Michigan? Michigan's 14th. So, yes, there are certainly some five-stars out there and some four-stars running around for Michigan. There's also guys that are transfers from places like Coastal Carolina. There's guys that were three-stars that have been developed within that program. For better or worse, even though Michigan is a classic blue-blood college football program, the reputation, the history, we all understand what that is. What Michigan is not is one of these teams like Georgia and Alabama and certain years of Texas A&M or a Clemson or whoever. It is not some, Ohio State has been doing this. It is not one of those programs that just year after year loads up with overwhelming talent and then sits back and waits to squash everybody in their path. It is not that. It's a program with good history, but it's a program that this year when they lose these kids at the end of the year probably takes a step back. Because there's talk they could have as many as 15 kids drafted in the NFL draft, a seven-round draft, which would be a record if they do it. But even if it's 12, 13, it doesn't matter. They're going to lose a lot of key pieces from this team. And for a team that develops from within, that bases their success on this idea of evaluating well and then developing the players you evaluated even better, there's times where that's going to cost you. So... In any given year, would you rather bet on Georgia with their recruiting to win the championship or Michigan with their recruiting to win the championship? Georgia. No kidding. But it's important for the sport that it not be absolutely a foregone conclusion. Think about baseball. Think about what we see in MLB right now where you've got teams like the Dodgers that are just going out there and saying, we'll buy up anything and everything we need to. Uh, We're going to have so much money spent. But the thing is, it hasn't worked. Not really. Not for them. It didn't work for the Mets when they tried it. For baseball, it is essential that they still have teams from places like Tampa Bay or Minnesota or wherever that can't spin like that that win enough that they feel like they can compete. When you get it down to where people only believe in a pro sports, say, like baseball, oh, the New York markets, the L.A. team, uh, maybe you know, maybe a couple of others. That's it. You know, the Cubs, if they feel like spending some money. If you get to the point where people think that 85% of the league has no chance to win, that kills you. College football was increasingly pushing in that direction. It's always been hard. Remember, we haven't had a new champion in college football since Steve Spurrier and the Florida Gators did it 27 years ago yesterday was when they broke through. 27 years ago, 1996 team down in Gainesville. That is the last first-time champion we've had in college football. It's always been hard, but people have felt like they had a chance. These last few years, it was starting to feel like they didn't. These two teams this particular year, Michigan, Washington being in the championship game, suddenly everybody out there gets a renewed sense of, we can do this. If you're Ole Miss, we can do this. We can't do it every year, maybe, but we can do this this year. Missouri. Heck yeah, man. We could do this. Will Missouri win the championship? No. They're not going to win the championship. doesn't matter. It's not about them actually doing it. It's about the belief you can do it. And thanks to Michigan and Washington, 
A lot of people are about to get that back, and I think that's great news. We will head to one of the places that has done it before. That is Tennessee. Check in on the new stud quarterback that everybody up there is going bananas about. He made his debut against Iowa. What did they make of it? We will talk about that with Josh Ward straight ahead here on the Chuck Oliver Show. King of college football, no matter where you go, with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Downloaded now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now, more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. Chuck Oliver Show, Heath Klein in for Chuck today. Glad to have you with us. And, of course, the college football conversation does not stop. I imagine the conversation has not stopped at all in Knoxville since the end of that bowl game. It went from a game that a lot of us would have probably gone out of our way not to watch unless we were a passionate Vol fan because Iowa is just the football equivalent of passing a kidney stone to watch them play for three hours. But as soon as we found out that the much-touted freshman quarterback was making his debut. Everything changed. And so let's find out what the reviews were. I would imagine pretty positive. Josh Ward joins us right now. He's with Sports Animal in Knoxville. You can hear him every day, 12 to 3, with Josh and Swain. He's with us here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Josh, how are you? Good. Great to be with you. Uh, Josh, let's, let's just start with where the game expectations were going in. When the word came down, Milton's not going to play. Nico makes his debut. What were the thoughts about what he could do, and then what did you see? How did you feel about it? I think the thought going in was, okay, here's a chance where he shouldn't have to help Tennessee's offense score a lot of points because of what you mentioned with Iowa's offense being dreadful, and he will have had a few weeks to get ready. There were questions about the timeline of when Nico knew that he would be the starter, but the truth is that he had plenty of time to get ready to take over as the starter in the bowl game. Statistically, we heard different opinions from fans. Some had Nico going out there putting up 350-plus yards of offense in his debut. And on at least my show, we cautioned everybody, statistically don't expect that kind of output. I think what Nico did was about as well as anybody realistically expected going in, both statistically and the way he ran the offense and was in control of what Tennessee was doing throughout the game. I'm sure that he's already seen a number of things on film, assuming he's looked at her or when he does, that he can improve on. But his playmaking, the three touchdowns he scored on the ground and then he threw one later, was as good, maybe better than I think anybody expected realistically going into the game. Yeah, we'd obviously seen brief glimpses, but it's a different deal when you're preparing, knowing you're going to be the starter. And obviously a very respected defense, as bad as that offense was, that's the defensive coordinator who won assistant coach of the year for how well that defense played for them to win 10 games. So uh, a a good test. And there were some things, obviously, you look at. It wasn't perfect. He lowered his eyes against the rush a few times. That's something you, you expect with time. That'll get better. But overall, Josh, I got to say, you see the physical tools. You say, oh, okay. I, I get why somebody might have thought this was a seven-figure guy. Yeah, his arm, his ability to make plays on the run, that's both as a passer and in the running game. His skill set is exactly what Josh Heupel wants in this offense with his mobility, his arm strength, ability to get the ball out quick, ability to move the football. 
down the field. He delivered a pass toward the uh, right pylon that I think if the receiver makes a different kind of play, could have been a touchdown right there. And then statistically, in the numbers and the highlights are even better for Nico. So he will have some things to learn coming out of this game. He also didn't have Tennessee's best offensive line in front of him. The group that he'll be playing behind in 2024 during the season should be better. They were down a couple of guys on the offensive line against Iowa. So he, he's just his talent, I think, is the real deal. Heath. We'll see what that means in terms of helping Tennessee compete for championships and all the expectations that will come next. But his talent is for real. I'm a buyer in Nico Stock. So I'm going to put you on the spot now, Josh, because I literally earlier saw a whole package with a TV station in Knoxville trying to get people to pronounce this name. So since we're all going to need to know it, and I assume you have spent a great deal of time as someone who has to say it over and over and over, what is the correct way to say this man's last name? Nico Iamale Ava. And uh, I do think it's easier to say just in isolation or trying to slow down, but Iamale Ava uh, is the pronunciation is, is best I can tell uh, inaccuracy. Iamale Ava. Because I've heard about 19 versions of it. I, I think one of them even had Epstein in the middle somehow, and I don't know why. So I, I wanted to get for all of us, we all are now in spring mode to get ready for the fall season. We have to all spend some time. We can't get away with saying Nico forever, and we're going to be talking about this dude very clearly. What we're also going to be talking about is likely him throwing the ball to Brew McCoy a whole bunch. How big a deal is that for them, Josh, that, that McCoy decides not to go pro, is going to stick around for another year? I think it's important. Brew is a trustworthy receiver. He's a physical player. He's a guy that you can trust when you throw the football, but he has a really good chance of coming down with it. I still question with Tennessee's group of wide receivers, do they have enough big play speed guys? They have Chris Braswell as a transfer from Tulane, who is exciting. Squirrel White has good speed. He has shown the ability to make plays at times. He's going to try to do more of that next year. We'll have a chance to improve. That's something to keep in mind with players coming back from a group of receivers that I think was disappointing based on preseason expectations this past season. They had to replace the Bolitnikoff Award winner from 2022, so it was not going to be easy. But Brew McCoy was a big loss in the middle of the season when he suffered the season-ending injury against South Carolina. And for a young quarterback who's still going to be developing next season to have a veteran who's played so much and uh, now has a really good understanding of the offense – has leadership qualities that they will need in that room. It was good news, expected news, but good news for Tennessee that Brew McCoy announced he's coming back. Josh Ward with us for a couple more minutes here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Again, taking a look at Tennessee coming out of their bowl game. So, Josh, there was already going to be plenty of buildup, obviously, on this young man and what he could do. Where do fan expectations go now? Because I, I think it's safe to say this wasn't a bad year for Tennessee, but it probably off last year wasn't the year fans had had in mind for their program. Do they immediately go right back to where they were coming out of last year? Hey, we can win the SEC. We could be in this playoff. All things are possible. Yeah, comparing the expectations heading into 2024 for what they were for 2023 is interesting because I think a lot of fans, most fans probably, were in the camp of, okay, 9-3, and three, maybe we can go 10-2. and two. There was a lot of 10-2 and two talk in July and August, but that's how it goes in college football, right? If you're kind of an eight and four, nine and three, you go nine and three or 10 and two as a fan getting close to the season. I think with the way Nico played and having seen what Tennessee did with Hendon Hooker in 2022, 
I think the expectations are going to be high early this offseason. We're also heading into a year where the playoff is 12 teams. So the chance of getting to the playoff moving forward is obviously greater than in the past. So I think that's going to be where it is. Tennessee going 10-2, and maybe competing for an SEC title, but at least competing for a college football playoff. And a lot of Tennessee fans are going to have the Vols getting there in the first 12-team playoff. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. I'm not quite there. I need to see more from the roster. I have more questions about the offensive line. How good overall will the receivers be? What kind of concerns might they have on the back end and defense with so many young players that will be out there? There is a lot to get figured out. But Tennessee with Nico has big-time potential offensively, and they bring back James Pierce Jr., who will be one of the best defenders in the SEC. Those are two really good players on each side of the ball to build around as they still figure out can they add another player or two in the transfer portal and who can develop during the offseason. Any thoughts at all of any staff moves there? Right now, no. The uh, biggest question was Willie Martinez coaching in the defensive backfield with his contract coming up, but he is expected to come back. I, I think that's pretty much wrapped up. They haven't announced anything, but they don't necessarily have to. So right now, unless a coach finds another opportunity, which can always happen, there is not an expectation of coaching staff change. And then, like, 30 seconds, Josh, if they are going in the portal for anything, and lots of programs are, where are they shopping? What are they trying to get? I would start with the offensive line. Uh, They do have a number of guys coming back with extra COVID eligibility, which is good. But I would add another piece, guard or tackle, would be of help if they can find a defensive back. A player at any level on defense would help. Maybe receiver, but I don't know what options are really out there. But the offensive line is where I would start the conversation. He's Josh Ward, does a fantastic job every day. Josh and Swain, noon to three on the Sports Animal up in Knoxville. Josh, have a great show, man. Appreciate you making the time. You got it. Thank you. There you go. A little bit of a look at what's going on. Again, happy days ahead in Knoxville. When you put the kind of resources into a player that they reportedly have into this quarterback, you always wonder, is he going to live to hype? We've all seen five stars that... From the time you look at him, you kind of say, really? This guy was a five-star? This was a big, big deal player. I'm not sure I understand it. I've covered a couple of guys like that through the years. This dude, watching him the other day, ah, yeah, I get this one. I think we all do. In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps a $5 minimum balance required. Hey, sandwich lovers. Today is your lucky day. There's a whole new way to roll for lunch or dinner delight with Nucky's Hoagies in the Roswell Corners Shopping Center. Now open. Nucky's Hoagies in Roswell is family owned and operated by the subsisters, Stacy and Shannon, whose love language is food and Nucky's Hoagies, their passion. When you bite into a Nucky's Hoagie, you'll taste the difference. The softest hoagie rolls ever, along with hunger-quenching sandwich combinations. Make Nucky's Hoagies in Roswell on Woodstock Road your new favorite spot for lunch or dinner. It's always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. 
with Brian and for Chuck today. Thank you so much for hanging out with us for another day. We always appreciate you doing that. By the way, don't forget, if you want, you can interact with us on the show Twitter account. That's Chuck Oliver's show. If you want to send in a thought that way, always welcome you to do that. And uh, we'll try to mix some of those in here in the new year. Right now, we head out to check in with Nick Kelly. He's the Tuscaloosa News' Bama beat guy and uh, obviously for Alabama a tough way to start 2024 so close and now trying to deal with the aftermath. He joins us here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Nick, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Uh, doing all right. Uh, for you, are, are you are you back home safely? Because uh, I've talked to a few different people over the last couple of days that uh, it wasn't quite the wagon trail coming back from Los Angeles, but for some people it turned into more of an adventure, I guess, than others. You Smooth, smooth sailing for you? <laughs> Yeah, it was good. Just uh, got back in late last night, and it was a long day of travel, but luckily no hiccups, so can't complain, and um, now back in central time. Nice. I got stranded out there. Uh, I won't say the airline, but I got stranded out there overnight in LAX because they didn't have a crew, so I got to kind of do that uh, Tom Hanks, the terminal movie scene, except for the romance with <laughs> Catherine Zeta-Jones. I got to hang out in the airport overnight. It's not the most fun thing to do, so I'm glad you were able to avoid that. Uh Travel aside, what were your takeaways from the title game and the way things turned out? Yeah, I just think, frankly, it's just it's a bummer for Alabama. I mean, they they could have won. It wasn't a game that was just out of their grasp. It it just they didn't finish. I mean, that was one thing in the post game locker room. I was just asking guys about it. Caleb Downs asked him several questions, and he kept saying, "We didn't finish. We didn't finish. We didn't finish." Um, so I think it was just a frustration. Um, disappointment that uh, they couldn't get the job done because it was there. I mean, it was it was very attainable, even as kind of as bad as they played at times. Um, it was still very attainable. So, um, yeah, it kind of encapsulated so many of the problems they've had this season. Uh, they experienced that in the game, whether it be the snapping issues, whether it be uh, an offense starting slow. Um, overall, they just kind of had some of those problems, but they usually found ways to overcome them. I mean, they usually have found uh, the ability to, okay, shake those off, second half adjustments, and make the most of it. Um, but it didn't happen this way that game. They had allowed 35 sacks for the first eight games. Then in the final five, everything was suddenly different. What, eight sacks total in the final five games, and that included obviously the game against Georgia. And then you proceed to allow five sacks to Michigan in the first half and, and six for the game. What happened there? Why, why were they suddenly the offensive line that they had been for the first two-thirds of the season again? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Um, I think part of it was Proctor wasn't fully healthy. It, during the warm-ups, we saw Elijah Pritchett with the first team uh, O-line initially, and then Proctor came in. So, And Proctor uh, told reporters later that, um, yeah, he was dealing with an injury. But, um, yeah, I, I think so that opposite doesn't help. Um, but also Michigan just, for whatever reason, what, what they were doing, Alabama had trouble adjusting to. Um, and, yeah, it was kind of baffling. I'm, I still don't fully understand uh, what changed. But Michigan's got a good front. I mean, Michigan, uh, they did a good job. Mentor, their defensive coordinator, did a really nice job uh, pressuring Milrow and dialing up blitzes. Um, and the offensive line didn't handle that super well, and the protections weren't always there. So, um, yeah, I think it's a combination of – didn't adjust well, and then also just you're facing good defense. With Michigan's defense, I was very impressed. I, I was a little skeptical coming into the game just because Big Ten, you know, what what types of offense they're really facing. But 
seen it firsthand that Michigan's defense is legit. Watching in the first half, basically every time they went empty, they got destroyed. And yet they kept going empty. And in the second half, then suddenly they got, it was even the Michigan players saying, yeah, they got a lot more physical, brought more guys in, and, and, and started giving us problems. What was the thought process? What did they think they had seen that made it seem like going empty was a winning strategy there? It's a good question. I, I, I don't know because I don't think that it was a good idea. Um, going empty has not usually worked out as well for them this season. Uh, just because Jalen, um, it's not his strength to get rid of the ball really quickly. Um, and so I'm not sure why they kept sticking with it. And I think that once they got to halftime, they made that adjustment to not do that as much. Um, because they, I mean, they've been a good second half team. They've been good at adjusting. It's just surprising that it took so long uh, when it wasn't working. Yeah, it really was. It was just odd because every single time it was working out extremely poorly. And, and yet on the final play, what turns out to be the deciding play for whether you go to a championship or not, you motion to back. There you are again. And your right tackle gets completely destroyed on the play. The snap is obviously not where it needs to be, which seems to mess with the timing. And your season is over. I, I just, I don't know. I'm just so baffled by that because it, if if everybody watching can see it, surely they can see it. It just was a really odd choice. Yeah, it was. It was. And I, I think at times Tommy Reese didn't call his best game. Um, and that last play, I, I don't hate the play. Um, I think some people do because it didn't work. Obviously, it's a bad play when it doesn't work. I don't hate the play call. It's just I think that that ball at Miller's ankles off the snap um, threw the timing off, threw him off. Um, I think at times, Jalen, one thing he'll need to work on going into next season is he he can be a little flustered when things kind of go wrong, which, I I mean, heck, I don't blame him. Uh, If you can't count where that snap's going to be, and then you got to figure out with all these defenders coming after you. and so, yeah, I, I think that last play wasn't a bad idea. It's just it didn't didn't they didn't execute properly. McLaughlin's gone, so it won't be him snapping the ball next year. But this was an issue all year long. Obviously, they wouldn't have kept him out there if they didn't think it was the best option. So, do do they have a solution? Is the line going to take a step back even from this next year? Yeah, well, I mean, technically, he has eligibility left, so he could be back if, if uh, both sides wanted it. But I. To me, I think it could make sense for him to to seek another option just because of what transpired this year. Um, But, yeah, I I wonder if a guy like Terrence Ferguson might make sense. Uh, He's gotten some work at center. Um, They've got a guy, James Brockermeyer. um, I don't know that he's the answer. Uh, But they've got a few guys. You can also also cross-train someone else, see if they can move at center. But also, they might look for the portal. You you never know. I knew coming in they want to look for some O-line help in the portal, and they already have uh, with uh, a guy from A&M that they're bringing in at tackle. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's going to be, frankly, interesting to follow to see what happens um, because they might need to go get a guy or they might need to develop someone who's on the roster. But Ferguson could make sense if he can snap well enough uh, because he has gotten some work there this season. Because at, at guard, they're in a good spot with Booker and uh, Jaden Roberts. So, uh to me, it's, yeah, maybe you move a guy like Ferguson to center and keep him there and keep working him there. Nick Kelly's with us from the Tuscaloosa News uh, looking at Alabama in the aftermath of the disappointment of Monday for them. So, Nick, I guess my question here would be, is it is it a glass-half-full thing that this was pretty clearly a flawed Alabama team compared to the vast majority of Saban's tenure? 
and yet they made the playoff, won the SEC, very easily could be playing for a championship. Do you look at it and say, boy, you could have done that with a flawed team, so if you just tighten up a few things, man, you could be right back in the thick of it for real. Or do you view it as the missed opportunity that, you know, hey, you could have a great team and it doesn't work out, which we've seen happen for teams before, too? I mean, maybe all of the above. <laughs> I think it's one of those things where Alabama overachieved and had a better season than they probably should have um, based on the way things looked early on. But at the same time, that's the standards championships uh, in Tuscaloosa. And so if you don't reach that and you're within grasp of that, then it's a disappointment. So I think you know two things can be true at once. Um, and now it's at a point where, okay, uh, you made – probably the most of the team you had this season, uh, what can you do next year? Um, I think that's a lot of the mentality right now just because they bring a lot of pieces back, or they should. I mean, of course, with the portal, you never quite know what's going to happen. And I know there's a lot of wild cards there, but uh, they should have a lot of good pieces back and a lot to build on now they've had that experience. And so, um, yeah, I think it's it's a case of what can you learn from this. And a lot of guys in the locker and postgame were just talking about, man, we got to get back to the drawing board and really just use this to fuel us. Are we 100% certain Nick Saban is the coach in 2024? Is there anything, any sense in the air that there's something to wait on, or is it just full speed ahead? <laughs> well, my name is Nick Kelly, not Nick Saban, so I can't give you 100% certainty. But Understood. Uh, <laughs> to, to me, it, and of course, that's what everyone's trying to figure out. And Kevin Steele mentioned that the only person who really knows that is Nick Saban, and, and I would extend that to maybe Terry Saban, uh, maybe even Jimmy Sexton, his agent. But um, to me, I, I think the fact that they lost helps that cause of him coming back more than anything, um, just because he's got a good team coming back, good recruiting class, he's in a good spot, they've had some good portal guys. Um, so to me, it's... It would make sense for him to be back, um, and I, I, I personally not gotten any indication that he won't be back. Um, but of course, again, I, I don't think that there's going to be some a bunch of breadcrumbs that he would leave, and that would be some well kept secret. I just think that, um, yeah. So it, honestly, it, it's a lot of it's just uh, conjecture and uh, educated guesses. But um, the fact that they, if they would have won, and, and he would have gotten that national championship, and maybe it would have made sense for him to walk out with that. Um, but now they lost the semifinal. Uh, I think that gives more reason for him to come back. And also, uh, again, the fact that he, it's not like he's coming back to like, oh, that was their last shot. That was their best chance. Uh, the cupboard is not bare. Um, so I think it makes a lot of sense for him to come back. But again, not many know exactly what's going to happen. I think only Nick Saban and maybe one or two other people know the true answer to that. The reason I ask is because they have an opening on the staff now. That's not exactly a shock. There's been openings basically every year in Tuscaloosa. But with Holman Wiggins leaving to go to A&M, it feels like if you go and hire a coach to be part of your next staff, that would be kind of making a commitment, hey, I'm going to genuinely be here. It would be kind of a, a rough move to hire a dude on Thursday and then a week later say, hey, by the way, <laughs> change of plans. So it feels like there's kind of a deadline there once he starts making moves for this coming staff, right? Yeah, you would think so. I mean, that that would be a good indication. Um, and, and frankly, the, the way that he's gone about still recruiting hard and building for next year, even before the the playoff game, uh, I mean, I, I, that to me is a good sign. It's not like he, not that that's in his nature to coast, but uh, the fact that he still is doing all his normal visits, he's uh, traveling all over the country, still working as hard as he ever has. To me, that's a good sign as well. 
Speaking of that, the departure, how big a deal is that for them to lose Holman Wiggins? Obviously, some really great receivers in his tenure, but also kind of a dry well for a couple of years there out of recruiting. So how big a loss is this? Um, I, I think it's it's something. <laughs> I don't know that it's insurmountable. Um, I think recruiting, yeah, he's, he was a big big help for them. He's landed some really good guys for him. Um, and Holman's just even just a very friendly, nice guy. I uh, had a chance to sit down with him um, before the uh, before the semifinal, um, but yeah, I think it's. I mean, he's had some talented guys underneath him, but I, I don't think it's a it's a loss. It's insurmountable, um, and I think that as long as they can get someone else in there who is a quality receivers coach, they'll be in a good spot. So um, yeah, I, I don't think they necessarily want to lose a guy like that, but also I don't think it's the end of the world. Nick Kelly does a great job on the Alabama beat for the Tuscaloosa News. You can see him on Twitter, underscore Nick Kelly is the handle there. And, of course, see his work at the Tuscaloosa News' website. Nick, thanks for making time for us here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Thanks for having me. Have a good rest of your week. There you go. A little bit of a perspective in the uh, the aftermath of Monday again. Just uh, could have obviously been a monster year for them. And, and to do it with a team that struggled the way that that squad did against people along the way, including – USF and half a game against Arkansas, half a game against Tennessee, just just never able to really find rhythm and consistency and still came within overtime of playing for a championship. It doesn't take a whole lot of whole lot of squinting, especially when it sure feels like next year they'd have to have a really unsaving like year to not be in the playoff. It doesn't take a lot of squinting to imagine them back on the podium a year from now. It is the Chuck Oliver Show. Coming up, a lot of names in the transfer portal on the quarterback side. One in particular went in yesterday that I think is really interesting and would not surprise me at all if his destination was in the SEC. We'll explain straight ahead here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. That left hand, the, the way that, that other touchdown came out, yeah. that reminds you of Michael Vick. That ball jumps off. Remember how that ball used to jump off Do Michael I? Vick? Hand? Oh. It, it, that that reminds me of Michael Vick right there. No, it doesn't. <laughs> no, it doesn't. That is the voice of Michael Irvin on Fox Sports 1's Skip Bayless and Friends Wacky Happy Hour. I think that's the official name of the show. Uh, This is what we get when we got these guys who are NFL guys who haven't watched any college football all year, basically, except for maybe a game their team's playing in that they went to. And then suddenly we get to these high-profile games and they have to start trying to make comments about what's going on. Look, Penix is is a left-handed quarterback. That's about the extent of what he's got in common with Michael Vick. His his throws are incredibly accurate. He is a fantastic decision maker. To compare that to what Michael Vick was, an incredibly dynamic athlete with an incredible arm, better arm than Penix, but a guy who was still very, very raw as a quarterback as he came into the league and that for a lot of reasons then continued to take time to develop into what his fullest potential could be Penix is way closer to maximizing all of his potential than than Michael Vick ever was and and as a comparison point I mean just no we talked yesterday the fact that they called 
three runs, designed runs of the first half for Penix, caught Texas off guard. Three carries for 31 yards. Michael Vick, you were always, every play, even if it wasn't a called run, terrified of what he might do with his legs. That's not how you play Penix. It's just, and again, it's it's nothing specifically against Michael Irvin. It's all of it. You get these national guys that now for like a week here have to pretend like they've been paying attention to college football and they don't have the slightest clue. And they will give you many, many examples of how. But that one in particular yesterday was especially glaring. Penix, Vic, you know. Again, Vic was the number one pick in the draft for a reason. Because everybody knew how dynamic and special he could be. There's a, a spirited debate about whether or not Penix is even going to be a first-day draft pick. They are not in any way similar. That, that doesn't make any sense at all other than the left-handed thing. That's it. Meanwhile, speaking of quarterbacks, yesterday, Caden Salter put his name into the transfer portal. If the name is vaguely familiar but you can't remember quite why, Caden Salter, the quarterback for Liberty. Liberty, of course, where he went after he had originally signed with the Vols, had some issues in Knoxville, and uh, didn't work out for him there, goes to join Liberty and has been a very effective player for them. And, of course, what gets your attention when he goes into the portal is that even though he was a great fit for Jamie Chadwell's offense, had big success there this year, Liberty obviously makes it to the college football playoff bowl even though they got smoked by Oregon because the talent gap is enormous you did what the best you can possibly hope to do at Liberty is undefeated season make that bowl game even if you have a rough time when you get there that is absolutely maxing out what is possible at Liberty if you're Caden Salter you saw somebody before you in Hugh Freeze's offense do big things after coming over from an SEC program and Malik Willis still did not wind up going until the fourth round of the draft. There does feel like, based on how Coastal Carolina's offense was portrayed by the NFL and how things have gone so far, it does not seem like playing in that offense for another year is going to help your draft stock all that much. And so Caden Salter's on the move. And given the connection that exists with Hugh Freeze, given how limited Peyton Thorne seems to be as a quarterback, at Auburn, I know there have been some talk that eh, they might just ride with Thorne for another year. He's got experience in the system. He's got a lot of useful game experience both there and at Michigan State. But given the limitations that Peyton Thorne certainly seems to have, boy, it, it will make a lot of sense if Caden Salter turns up in Auburn. Again, that's not a report. No one's reported that. But I, I just think a lot of us will be real surprised if that doesn't wind up coming together. And that would add a really dynamic player to an Auburn squad that's adding a lot of talent, particularly out of the portal this year. Meanwhile, also Will Howard, who had been basically penciled in by a lot of people to join the Trojans and Lincoln Riley, Will Howard now reportedly will visit Ohio State. Again, Ohio State in their game did not have Devin Brown, but for a couple of series he gets injured. Uh, what was behind him was not promising, although it's also a player who was already a freshman and not just a typical freshman, a freshman from South Dakota. Raw as can be, the level of football that you see in Pierre, South Dakota, trying to go from that to dealing with high, high-level football in a college football playoff-affiliated bowl, he wasn't ready for that. And it was really obvious he wasn't ready for that. But I don't know that that means you can't get something out of him in a couple of years. Short-term, does it look like he could be ready for fall? Boy, it doesn't. 
And so with McCord gone, Brown having not been better than McCord in the coaching staff's eyes to begin with, and then barely getting a chance to play and not exactly knocking people's socks off in the bowl game, uh, all of a sudden Will Howard from K-State to Ohio State can make a lot of sense. He's also looking at the pros. Remember, Cam Ward was looking around, and Cam Ward decided, nah, instead of going to either FSU or Miami or reportedly Auburn after their bowl game expressed interest in Cam Ward and it didn't happen, uh, he decided he's going pro. So that's one guy who took himself out of the portal. A couple of guys have taken themselves out. DJU is going to FSU. KJ Jefferson goes from Arkansas to UCF. So a couple of schools have gotten their guy. They're out of the portal, and those kids are out of the portal. Another interesting name that just came in, Jordan Maeva, you probably didn't see him play much, but he was the quarterback this year for UNLV. Uh, won that job as a freshman. They had some experienced guys ahead of him that actually were pretty good. Doug Brumfield's not a bad quarterback, uh, but Maeva was hugely impressive in what he was able to do this year for UNLV. Now, does that mean that there's an SEC-level program that's convinced he's their guy? I'm not sure about that. Uh, because, again, you talk about a guy who's a freshman, you get more years with him, but there are some limitations size-wise that had him there in the first place. So you got UNLV's QB, you got New Mexico State's QB, both in the portal who had really good years, but at non-typical programs, not enough quarterbacks to go around, and we'll see what happens. But the fact Ohio State and Auburn both reportedly after the bowl games jumped in to start looking, that says something. This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.